life. Question and answer 87. And I'll read this before we turn to the Scripture. Question 87, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Uh, Now our scripture reading. Um, I've changed the text for tonight, uh, just uh, just the other day. As I was preparing for this, I I switched the text. We're going to look at Psalm 51. So uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word, if you would, to Psalm, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, let's give our full attention to God's holy word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Within me, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, then bowls will be offered on your altar. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Pray with me that he bless it to us now, loved ones. Oh, our God, give us faith in proportion 
to the clarity of revelation that you've given to us of your gospel. Give us conviction in proportion to the truth you've shown us. Give us love in proportion to the, the, the goodness of, of, of your Son that you've shown us. Work in us that which is pleasing in your sight by your mighty Spirit and your searching Word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, last week we were looking at the question, uh, what, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer, faith in Jesus Christ, is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the Gospel. A beautiful statement that faith in Christ is not a great act of, uh, of, our, own, our, of our own decision or our, our, our own work or our own love, but faith is receiving Christ and resting in all that He is for us and trusting Him to be our Savior. This week, we, 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 we take the coin and we flip it over. So faith is, is one side of the coin, and on the other is repentance. They're distinct sides, but they're inseparable from each other. Um, these two things, faith and repentance, always go hand in hand. They're not the same thing, but they're inseparable things. We see them in Scripture bound together all the time. It's the great theme of our Lord Jesus' preaching, isn't it? In those early chapters of, of the Gospels, we see His ministry summarized this way. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. Two halves, right, of the same message, the same Gospel message. It's the great theme of Jesus' preaching. It's the great theme of Paul's preaching, too. Uh, as he goes to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, uh, on his way to Jerusalem, he's summarizing for them what his ministry was. And he says, We testified, both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Faith, repentance, repentance, faith. So the point is, is very clear, isn't it? If you're going to turn in faith to Christ, you're going to be simultaneously turning your back on sin. That turning to Christ requires turning away from sin. Now, it's important that we notice the order the Catechism puts it in, that first the Catechism talks about faith, and then about repentance. Otherwise, we might get the idea that we need to go shape up our lives a little bit, get some repentance done, and then we can go trust in Christ as our Savior, which is never the case, right? And yet, at the same time, when you come to Christ in faith, with all your sin... You must, coming to Him, forsake your sin. Repent of your sin. Faith is not faith if there's not repentance with it. Just as repentance is not repentance if there's not faith with it. Sinclair Ferguson has a wonderful little book called The Christian Life. In it, he walks through the, the doctrines of salvation. And, and he says this about, about, about faith and repentance. He says, If we truly believe in Christ, it must be penitently. If we repent of sin, it must be believingly. The two always go together. Now, loved ones, I think we know the necessity of faith for our salvation. Let us also know the necessity of walking in repentance. That, that, that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot live as a Christian without walking in repentance. You cannot grow in holiness without repentance. 
uh, as long as sin is in us, we need to be repenting of it. This is the daily work of our lives as Christians. It's so easy to slip into a lazy Christianity where we have those sins and we know, we know they're there, and perhaps Sunday by Sunday during the time of confession, we confess them to the Lord, and it's the same ones we confessed before. And then we go into the week without any earnest prayer to God for victory over them, or any, or any plan to lay hold of His promises in His Word and, and to repent of them. The Christian life needs to be a life of continual repentance. Martin Luther, the great reformer, October 31st, 1517, nailing his 95 theses to the church door of Wittenberg. The first through fifth are about repentance. I want to share a couple words from his first and fifth. He says this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, in saying, Repent ye, intended that the whole life of His believers on earth should be a constant repentance. True inward repentance lasts until entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So we need to be repenting and repenting and repenting. And there may be no greater model of repentance in the Bible for us than Psalm 51. And that's where we'll turn our attention now. Psalm, Psalm 51. I want to start... Uh, the, fir- the first point of the psalm that I want to make is the same as the way the catechism answer starts. Repentance begins with the grace of God. You notice the catechism answer, repentance unto the life, is a saving grace. The first thing it says about repentance. And as we look at Psalm 51, I want to start by considering, we see that same, that same truth in Psalm 51. We see it, first of all, in the superscription to the psalm. Not all psalms have those little words in the smaller print at the top, but, but, but some do. And... Uh, uh, this one is particularly important, isn't it? It tells us the historical background behind this psalm. Where did this psalm come from? Well, it came from, we're told there's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. You know the story. I'm sure you know it well. That David, one night, uh, instead, of, instead of leading his men out to war, as he should have done as their good, faithful king, he's getting complacent with his success, so he stays at home, and, and one night he's on the roof, relaxing, he looks out, sees Bathsheba bathing, lusts after her in his heart, does not flee from sin, but goes and, and, and takes her for himself. Uh, she gets pregnant, and, and he, he uh, then... Uh, goes through the whole thing with Uriah, her husband. He's too honorable to make it work, uh, so David finally has Uriah put to death. And then David sits in that sin, and he battens down the hatches, and he won't repent of it. He sits in it and slams the door of his conscience against God and goes on living in it. And the superscription to the psalm is recalling this for us. But then it makes an important note, doesn't it? It says, when Nathan the prophet went to him. It doesn't say, notice, when David finally realized he was a sinner. It doesn't say, when David figured it out and turned his life around. It's when Nathan the prophet came to him. David didn't repent until God, by his sovereign grace, went after him, sent his prophet to him, and shot his word into his heart like an arrow, breaking through his defenses, through through Nathan the prophet, breaking him down and humbling him before God. That's the first thing we need to see about repentance. 
It comes from the sovereign grace of God. Repentance does not come from inside a sinner's heart. Our hearts are so sinful, we cannot repent. We cannot even want to repent in ourselves. It is only the grace of God coming from outside of us that can come into our heart to give the grace of repentance. We see this truth in one of the texts I was going to read, uh, but, but didn't, Acts eleven eighteen, where the apostles are rejoicing because the gospel went to the Gentiles and the Gentiles believed it. And, and the apostles say this, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to, that leads to life. It's so clear then, isn't it? Repentance is God's gift. It's His gift at the beginning of the Christian life, and it's His gift going on and on every day of the Christian life, as we see in David here, isn't it? Right? Uh, it's not something, loved ones, that you and I can manufacture or work up or cook up in our own hearts. You have no power, I have no power in ourselves to repent of any sin. And so, when we, when, we, when we come to our, a sense of our sinfulness, this needs to drive us to our knees. We, we cannot turn from any sin without the grace of God. So we need to seek Him. We need to seek Him in prayer. Pray that He would come and give, him, give us the grace of repentance. That, that He would give it through His Word. Right? That's what He did with David. That's His ordinary way of working. He sends His prophet with His Word. Our great prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, sends His Spirit by and with the Word. The Spirit comes, batters down our defenses, brings conviction, brings sorrow, brings grief, brings a resolve for new holiness. It is only the Lord Himself who can work lasting repentance in us. If it's our own effort, it will fail before it starts. So seek the grace of God for repentance. Repentance unto life is a saving Grace. That's the first thing. The second thing here, I want to look now, well, what, what is repentance like? What, what, what characterizes repentance? What does God do when he starts working this grace in our hearts? This is our second point. Repentance includes a true sense of your sin. Repentance includes a true sense of your sin. As we look at Psalm 51, this stands out to us, doesn't it? That David's sense of his sin is very strong. Uh, he does not have a low estimate of sin and a high estimate of his own goodness. He has a very, very high estimate of his sin and of the sinfulness of his sin. He looks it right in the face in Psalm 51. Our tendency is so often to minimize sin, make excuses for it. Well, I did that. It was sort of an accident. It was, uh, circumstances, you know, uh, all, all these things played in, but, but Psalm 51 comes and it takes all our excuses away, and it says, no, look at your sin, and see how sinful, see how sinful it is. Um, uh, looking at the psalm, we see here, um, as we so often do in the Old Testament, those three main categories of sin that are, that are so often used, um, transgression, iniquity, and sin. We see him start in verse 1. He says, my transgressions. And then in verse 2, he talks about my iniquity and my sin. Um, it's important for us to, to understand this. This, this. this is God's way of x-raying our sin 
for us and say, let me show you uh, all, the, all the aspects of your sin. It's a complex thing. There's transgression, iniquity, and sin. They aren't, they aren't the same thing. There are nuances to your depravity. Um, transgression, he mentions first. Transgression is, there's an, there's an obvious boundary, and you blow right past it. Willfully, stubbornly, insistently, willing your own way. David does this, doesn't he? He knew, as he looked at Bathsheba, lusted after her, and then acted on that, and then his plan to have Uriah put to death, he knew the whole time where the boundary line was, what God's law demanded. He knew the sixth commandment. He knew, he, 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 he knew the commandment, you, sh- you shall not commit adultery. He knew these things. But he said, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. And he walked across that line that God told him not to walk across. That's, that's transgression. Then there's iniquity, he mentions. Iniquity is, is something twisted and, and, and bent out of shape and, and, and broken, almost past recognition. It's something that's been disordered. David, as he, as he considers his sin here under the influence of the grace of God, reflecting on his sin, he says, I wasn't just transgressing God's law. I wasn't only a rebel in my will against God's boundary, but my desires were twisted, perverted. The desires I should have had, uh, a desire to be content, was instead twisted, and I, and I was covetous. My, my, my desire for, for laziness instead of leadership, my, my desire to lust instead of respect. Right? All his desires were disordered and, and twisted, a great, a great knotted mess. And he looks at his sin, he says, it was, it was a, my, my heart was all disordered. And then he says his sin, transgression, iniquity, and then sin. God says, here's the mark, and David shoots the arrow, and it misses entirely. God calls him to faithful obedience, and instead he breaks faith and disobeys and falls short of the glory of God. So David, as he looks at his sin, looks at it this way, loved ones, through this, through this lens. And he does it again as the psalm goes on. You can see it. He keeps using these, these same words, these same words this, this threefold complexity of the sin of his heart. In verse 3, he mentions transgression again and sin. Verse 5, iniquity and sin. Verse 9, sins and iniquity. So he's over and over, he circles around this, this same thing, saying this, I am a complete sinner. I am a totally depraved sinner, corrupt in every part of my being. He is fully acknowledging the sinfulness of his sin, the complete sinfulness of his sin. Do you, loved ones, as you think about the sin in your life, do you look at it that honestly and see all the, all the, the, the sinfulness of it? Repentance acknowledges the sinfulness of sin. Second, as, they, as we look at this idea of uh, the way that uh, in, repentance includes true sense of your sin, David acknowledges not only that sin is touching every part of his heart and, and life, but that it's, it's actually his very spiritual DNA. That he doesn't just sin, but that he himself is a sinner. He spews out sin like a fountain spews out water. The lust, the covetousness, the murder, they all came from inside his own heart. They were not accidents that happened to him. Look at verse, verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying that he was born like all mankind since Adam. He was born a sinner. Not just I sin, but I am a sinner. And third here, David's sense of his sinfulness is also saturated with the presence of God. So he's got this sense that he is twisted, broken, rebellious in every part of his being, that it runs down into the very core of who he is, and also a sense of his sin as a sin against God. His, sin, his, his sense of sin is not, well, I had this standard for myself, and I, and I didn't meet my standard for myself. Um, I didn't live up to my ideal. His sense of sin is not that, well, I broke the, the standards of the people around me. It's that he sinned against God. Of course, he sinned against other people and caused immense pain to other people. Um, but as horrific as his treatment of others was, what most horrifies David is his treatment of God in his sin. Verse, verse 4, we saw this in the sermon this morning, didn't we? Uh, verse 4, he says, Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is the thing that is breaking David's heart, that he sinned against his God, his Lord, his covenant-keeping God. It's this same sense that Joseph had back in Genesis 39.9, when Joseph didn't give in to temptation, but ran from it. What did Joseph say to, uh, to, to Potiphar's wife when he was tempted? He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, not Potiphar, not Potiphar's wife. How can I, how can I do this and, and sin against, against God? You can see it again in David's words in verses 5 and 6. He contrasts his sin with the holiness of God. Verse 9, he cries out to God to hide his face from his sins. And then verse 11, he says, don't cast me from your holy presence. This is the, this is the great sadness that he has about his sin. It's, it's brought separation into my relationship with the Lord. It's a sin against Him. The fourth thing, the fourth thing about David's sense of his sin is the, the depth of sorrow that it causes him. All this sinfulness, the breadth of it, the depth of it, the, uh, the Godward nature of it, all of it moves him to, to great sorrow. Uh, he compares his pain of guilt to, being, uh, to having broken bones in verse 8. In verse 17, he talks about having a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He has real grief. Do you have real grief over your sin? Um, it doesn't mean that we all need to have a, 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 a level of display of outward emotion to have a broken heartedness, a contrite heart before the Lord, a, a grief over sin. In fact, you can have a, a, a strong display of outward emotion of, of brokenness over sin but not real repentance inside. A, a broken heart might mean you're really weeping. It might also mean that your heart is quietly grieved and deeply grieved and just absolutely humbled before God. Not standing on your own righteousness. Not standing on your own worthiness. Fully aware of the depths of your sin in, in, in light of the, the majestic holiness of God. Loved ones, this is, the, this is the sense of our sin that we should have. Uh, this kind of depth, this kind of scope and breadth, this sense of sin, and sin against God, this broken-hearted grief and humility. 
over our sinfulness against God. So, repentance, we've said, begins with the grace of God. And now we've just seen repentance includes a true sense of your sin. Let's look third now at how repentance includes a sense of God's mercy. So repentance is not just sensing your sin. It's also sensing God's mercy. It's God's mercy which moves sinners to repent. Think of the story of Jonah, Nineveh, right? He goes to Nineveh and he preaches that God's judgment is coming. And they repent. And you might say, well, they repent because they heard judgment was coming. But they repent because they know if they repent, God will be merciful to them. And, and, and why does Jonah get so upset? Lord, because I knew you'd be merciful to them. You're a gracious God. You're a merciful God. You're a forgiving God. Think of the prodigal son. What does he remember that spurs him on to going back to his father when he's in a far land? He remembers the goodness of his father, the provision of his father. He has confidence in his father's mercy. Not enough confidence. He should have more confidence in his father's mercy. He goes, Father, I'll be a servant in your house. No, you're my son. Right? Paul writes in Romans 2, verse 4, he says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's judgment may make us want to run from sin, but it's his mercy that makes us want to run to him. Isn't it? Sinclair Ferguson, again, writing on this, he says, the law may lead to conviction, exposing our guilt and need, but only when grace appears on the horizon, offering forgiveness, will the sunshine of the love of God melt our hearts and draw us back to Him. That's what we see in Psalm 51, isn't it? Notice, we go back to the opening words of the psalm with me. What, is, what does he say? First words out of his mouth. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The first word out of his mouth in the psalm. Grace, O Lord. Be gracious. All his hope is in the undeserved favor that God alone will give. He doesn't come to bargain. He doesn't come to work off his debt. He comes seeking the grace of God. And his expectation is that God will give this grace, not because David is not really that bad, but because God is really so good. He, he, he pins all his hope on who God is. Notice what he says, be gracious to me, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. So David, David knows who God is. He's saying to God, Lord, be who you are. Be who you showed yourself on Mount Sinai to Moses. When you said to him, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Be that God for me. It's what, he, what the Lord said in, in, the, in, in Aaron's blessing for the high priest to give to Israel, right? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Same word that David is grasping hold of here. Grace, Lord. I need it. You will give it. He asks then for forgiveness. He has, this, uh, he has this great confidence that God will forgive him. And he, and he pleads the promises of, of God. He has sinned in, in, in an unspeakably heinous and gross way. 
but he comes asking forgiveness. How can he be forgiven of such perverse wickedness? But God has more grace, sufficient for him even. God gives, God gives forgiveness. David asks God to blot out his transgressions. To blot out means to make it as though it never existed before. It's the word that's used when the Israelites are coming into the promised land and they blot out their enemies. They wipe them out. They erase them. That's what David, Lord, out of your abundant steadfast love, erase the hard drive. Delete it permanently. No more sin on my record. Right? Think of the depth of his sin, the, the, the sinfulness of it. And he comes to God with this expectation that God will still forgive. Lord, make me thoroughly clean, he prays. Verse 6, he asks God to purge him with hyssop. Um, the hyssop plant was, was used when the priest would ceremonially cleanse the lepers uh, in the Leviticus 14. They'd use a hyssop plant to do that. Uh, when, when Exodus 12, when the Israelites are, are, are having the Passover, they use a hyssop branch to dip in the blood and brush the blood on the doorposts. And David says, Lord, purge me with hyssop. Make, make that, or that, that, that atonement for my, my sin. Make, may, make me whiter than snow. He asks that, that, God, you do this. You come into my heart. You give me a new heart. You make a right spirit in me. Turn your face from all this sin and all this iniquity. He wants this forgiveness. And he fully expects to receive it. He has this wonderful confidence of the grace of God. Loved ones, I think in our Christian experience, when we sin and we see the sinfulness of our sin and we feel the guilt of our sin, the temptation is to pull an Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. We're sinful. We're guilty. Oh no, run and hide. God's coming in judgment. But Psalm 51 says, apprehend the mercy of God. Yes, have the fullest possible sense of the sinfulness of your sin and the fact that you deserve the wrath of God. But apprehend His mercy. Know His mercy. Sense His mercy. Look to His mercy. Look to His character. Who is He? Covenant-keeping God of steadfast love, mercy that is abundant, that, that, that is more than all our sin. Look to, look, look to the nature of your relationship with Him. It's a covenant. And he's made it a covenant of grace, and he'll not break it. It's not built on your worth. It's built on the righteousness of Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ, who is the one who has fully paid for all our sins. When, um, when, 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 uh, when a child comes to a parent, genuinely contrite, looking for forgiveness fully acknowledging his or her sin. What a precious thing that is to a parent. When, when a child comes, expecting forgiveness, aware and of, of the sin and, and humbled and contrite, but, but seeking forgiveness. Well, right, that, 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 that's what our Lord feels towards us, that tenderness, but so much more so. That He wants to show forgiveness to those who seek it. So loved ones, in your guilt, apprehend the mercy of God. So repentance begins with the grace of God. Repentance includes a true sense of your sin. Repentance includes a true sense of God's mercy. And now finally, 
Repentance results in new obedience. Psalm 51 uh, ends in harmony with the way the Catechism uh, answer 87 ends. The, the Catechism ends like this, with, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience, saying that real repentance has a, full, uh, a, 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 a fulsome desire, a full purpose to, to pursue new obedience. Uh, psalm 51 highlights this for us in a couple of key ways. At the end of the psalm, um, the, the first thing here is that this new obedience uh, after we've repented will lead to gospel witness. The psalm says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David is saying that with the forgiveness of God fresh in his heart, with, with his conscience clean and, and his relationship with God restored, what's he going to do? He's going to go tell others. He's going to go find other sinners, other transgressors, and say, come find mercy in the Lord. That's what true repentance does. True repentance turns into gospel witness. There's also the aspect of worship here that's highlighted. Verses 14 and 15, David says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is, this is all, all this mercy of God, forgiveness of God, working repentance in, in, in David. It's all going to burst out in the end and worship and praise to the Lord. It'll lead to a humble heart that turns in worship and thanksgiving to God. This is the result of repentance, loved ones. When you seek the grace of God and He gives it, you have a true sense of your sin, the sinfulness of your sin, and you confess it. And you have a true sense of His mercy. It'll produce witness, worship, obedience, new desires to serve Him and follow after Him. So let me encourage you to press on in this, in this grace. Let me close with a word from, from Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, The paradox of spiritual growth is that as faith deepens, brings with it new levels of joy and assurance. So also, repentance deepens, bringing ever more profound an awareness of our need for Christ. The purpose of God is clear. The more we sense our need, the more we shall find our need met in Christ. The more we find our need met in Christ, the nearer we will come to Him. The nearer we come to Him, the more we will discover our hearts, saying, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. The closer you come to Christ, loved ones, the more sin you'll see, the more repentance you'll need, and the more you'll turn to Christ in love and faith and confidence of His mercies. Let's pray. O Lord, work this grace of repentance in all our hearts for the glory of Your name, we ask it in Jesus' name.